1: Eventuality is we're going to have interoperability between language models. So, although I'm dealing with one that's very healthcare specific, if I need something from another, I can pull that from it. But it's really important that we understand that this is adjunctive to our practice. This is helping us, this is not replacing us. This is making us better, putting more information at our hands. <music>
0: Welcome to Newsday, a This Week Health newsroom show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our Newsday show partners, and we have a lot of them this year, which I am really excited about. Cedar sinai Accelerator, ClearSense, CrowdStrike, Digital Scientists, Optimum Healthcare, IT, Pure Storage, ShoreTest, TauSite, Lumion, and VMware. We appreciate them investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now on to the show. All right, it's Newsday, and today we are joined by Charles Boise. The Charles, I always get your title wrong, but
1: uh, Innovation. Yeah, just call me the uh, Chief the, Innovation Officer,
0: Innovation Guy over at uh, ClearSense. And people may not know this, but you and I go back a long way. You were at UCI the first time I met you, and you were essentially doing all this incredible stuff with data. That then became, you fine-tuned that, went over to Stony Brook, did some stuff over there. And then eventually somebody grabbed you and uh, ClearSense was birthed out of all of that, uh, that history of working with data in very distinct ways. And you guys now do some really cool stuff. And with that, you travel the world. And I catch you, you're in Southern California now, you've been in the UK, you've been in Ireland, you've been in India, that's where you've been. What's going on around the world with regard to health IT and health technology? I mean, why are you visiting those spaces?
1: Sure. So one, we shouldn't feel bad. Everybody's in the same spot. They're not advancing anywhere any quicker than we are. So that's, that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your uh, perspective and whatnot. But actually those environments where there's only one health care plan, it's a government based, basically socialized medicine and whatnot. Uh, again, just like us, all the best intentions in the world, but the, the implementations and the follow through is slow, just like us. Uh, I will say though, that in India, because of the, the nature of less regulation, we're able to move quite a bit faster. So new innovations are able to come into practice. And the really great thing that I like about working in India is the major technical universities are all behind healthcare. So a lot of innovation is is happening, and then it's being pushed out. But they're doing things a little bit differently, Bill. They're looking at it from a a personal health record perspective as opposed to a full-blown EMR implementation. So the patient is going to be in charge of their medical record. You may go to uh, an organization, there is no electronic record, so you'll scan the record, it'll go into a repository, and then by permission, should it will allow um, others to view it and whatnot. So that's a little bit different approach. But, but yes, no difference in us. to well, so innovate. That, that, could,
0: that could be, we've been talking about, and I think you and I have been talking about this model, the, the personal health record being the locus of data interoperability, because it just all the data just keeps coming back to me. I carry it because I'm at the point of care everywhere I go. So India could become the test bed at scale for this kind this of yeah.
1: model. Well, you think about it, there's no way in hell that they're going to, you know, a wide rollout of an EMR, right? It's just not going to happen from an economic perspective, but they have the best 5G network in the planet. Everyone has a smartphone, regardless of where you are on the economic scale. So why not? If you get a paper record, why not just scan it and send it out from a clinical perspective? Yeah, maybe you have to scroll through some PDFs or whatnot, but uh, at least the information is there to treat and you're not starting from scratch each time. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how well they go.
0: Why the UK? What, what are you looking at in the UK and Ireland?
1: Well, Northern Ireland from a perspective of innovation and technology, they have an excellent program for us technologists to utilize both their resources as well as office space and whatnot. So and again, built. They're five hours ahead of us. They're five and a half hours behind uh, India. So it's a good place for out there technology to have like product development and so forth. So it worked both ways. And then on, on, yeah. And on the NHA side, the, the various trusts and whatnot, are, are, they are innovating and they are putting things into practice. So pretty much everyone's on par and whatnot. The, the first story I wanted to cover with you, I, I saved stories for, for you. And
0: because <laughs> you were practicing a practicing clinician, practicing nurse in LA. And the first article is violence against healthcare workers is rising. Oh. How can we protect them? I'd imagine in your environment, that was a pretty high-risk environment that you worked in. I, I was curious your thoughts on, first of all, the, the the fact that violence against healthcare workers is rising. And what do you see us doing, and what do you think we could be doing better?
1: Yeah, Bill, you just gave me goosebumps with that. I didn't know that you were going to bring that one up. Um, February tenth, nineteen 1993, I was at L.A. County. I actually left the trauma environment to go into the cafeteria. And a gentleman came in and, and shot three of our physicians. Uh, I ended up in that cafeteria environment for several hours, as you might guess. That wasn't the first time that i ever experienced violence. And this was a, a, a patient that was upset that um, they had to wait three hours for pain medication. Prior to that, a year prior to that, we had a, a nurse stabbed in the neck with a pair of scissors by a patient. I know nurses that have been, had their arms broken by patients and, and so forth. What, what did we do after that? We did a complete lockdown that is still there with full-on metal detectors, the appropriate guard, if you will. Not really the site you really want, but again, this was Alley County, the county trauma unit and whatnot. But this is something that's been ongoing. We had a, a physician in Texas shot just this year. I'm not exactly sure what the answer is, but if you talk to the nursing unions and others, again, very strict measures, no different than... Getting on an airplane, we need to check people in, check people out.
0: So we have technology. That, I mean, the the minute that there's an issue, we have some sort of communicator device that's communicating back, identified, and we have some protective measures to make sure that this stuff's not getting in. I assume we're going to cut down significantly on gun violence and and stabbings and that kind of stuff in, in the ED, I, and it's not only here. I mean, you're seeing it on planes. You see those stories on social media that you know, person subdued by five passengers. And you're like, what's going on? Like, what is leading people to the point where they're just, they're snapping on the people who are trying to get them from one location to another or help them or physically help them to get better? And actually, I may not want to go down that path because this is the intersection of technology and healthcare. And I guess the question is, we have metal detectors, we have those kinds of things. We have like vocera badges and that kind of stuff where we can, Call a situation and, and go to lockdown. We practice those lockdowns and those kinds of things. I am worried about, though that physician that's seeing a patient, and the patient goes because you Sorry? You need close physical contact to people to care for.
1: Them. Yeah, I think you have to bring in a behavioral cognitive psychologist to, to, to properly answer that one, but it, it is escalating. My travel, I see it all the time. I, I don't have a good answer for that but that's going to be something that's going to take a long time to correct. But in the meantime, we just, like you said, have to put as many protective measures as we can in place. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. To celebrate our fifth
0: year as a podcast, we set out to raise $50,000 for childhood cancer in a partnership with Alex's Lemonade Stand. Thanks to the generosity of the health IT community. We, hit that goal already. It's August 2nd or 3rd, and we've already hit that goal. It's pretty amazing. In July, two of our 229 project events brought together health IT leaders with the help of the chairs. I wanna recognize the chairs, Sarah Richardson, Tressa Springman, Michael Pfeffer, and Donna Roach. The group of leaders they brought together and the sponsors that were a part of that helped to donate over $10,000 to Childhood Cancer and Research and Alex's Lemonade Stand, and we wanna thank them, and we wanna thank you for participating all year long. It's still going. We're still raising money, and we hope to really break through this goal. Alex's Lemonade Stand is doing wonderful things in cancer research and family support. Join us by going to thisweekhealth.com, clicking on the Alex's Lemonade Stand logo. It's right there on that front page in the top right-hand column. We would love to have you do that and give today and be a part of helping us to fight childhood cancer. Now, back to our show. I want to talk to you about generative AI because I love talking the technology with you and you've been traveling around the country, around the world, and we see a lot of promise for generative AI. I read an article this morning put out by Stanford, a bunch of people at Stanford, including Mike Pfeffer. That said, these models, even though they can pass medical exams, aren't trained with medical data. And we may want to switch our thinking a little bit to say, because we've allowed technology to sort of come into healthcare and we, we then try to figure out how to adapt healthcare to the technology. And we may want to start training models, these large language models, specifically on clinical data on health record data and that kind of stuff because generally a large language model is just guessing the next word and it depends on what you've trained it on what it's going to guess or what it's going to put in that space and the theory is if you train it more on the medical record data and the specific medical data it is going to be more accurate as it pulls that uh, medication out of the record or it pulls some diagnosis out of the record and those kinds of things What are you hearing as you travel the world? And what are your thoughts on making these models that they're already relevant for healthcare, but more relevant for healthcare?
1: Sure. So a couple of things, when you said generative AI, I was going to do this. Okay. Here's my concern. Um, One, generative AI is not all encompassing of machine learning and AI. In healthcare, we've latched onto this and it's, I think it's really important. And it's really a point that I want to get across that. Generative AI is not the end-all, be-all for machine learning AI. There's a bunch of other technologies around this. There's predictive type models. There's a whole bunch of different ways that we're using AI machine learning. I just want to make sure that folks don't lose the focus that generative AI is the end-all be-all. I think that's fair sure to say, wouldn't you say it, Bill? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you... It's, it's, y- it's got the focus. Be, it's got the focus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you and I, back in 2015, 2016, we were working on AI models that weren't generative AI models, but they were AI models that were learning predictive models based on the data that we had.
1: Now, that being said, we've all been interacting with Chat GTP, which is an all-encompassing large language model, right? It's, a, it's everything. And really it was put out in the public not to train the model. But to train us and to learn more about us. And I kid you not, Bill. It's interesting that we've got people in organizations, you know, even in healthcare technology organizations that are putting all their trade secrets into chat GTP to summarize their offerings to for marketing and so forth. Yet they've just contributed that which they probably shouldn't have to that language model. We also got folks that are doing development and whatnot putting IP code into a large language model, looking for efficiencies and whatnot. That's probably not the best use of it. So I just want to put that caution because I've seen a lot of that. What we put in to these large language models then becomes part of that large language model. So it's really important that we do understand that we're not putting proprietary information, at PHI and, and all that good stuff. There's an article in here, the
0: Data-Driven Hospital and the Inevitability of AI. So meaningful use, we all digitize the medical record to some degree. We end up with a mess of data. Uh, I mean, you know better than I do. I mean, just a mess of data. Yeah. And the, the core of this article, again, the data-driven hospital and the inevitability of AI. In fact, the strategy that we put together at St. Joe's back in the day that I brought you in to help to educate our executive team on was called the data-driven healthcare, data-driven and the theory was, we digitize all this data. We have this ton of data, and it's going to revolutionize healthcare. But it's still pretty messy, and there's a belief that AI is somehow going to be able to
1: alleviate that mess. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, that's yeah, that's still accurate. Going and going back to your previous question, Hippocratic have put together LLM for for healthcare specifically, and that's the direction that we need to go. We don't need to necessarily participate in OpenAI's large encompassing model, but from a language model perspective, one specific to healthcare, and then what you're going to see at, at some time, it's going to be eventuality, eventuality is we're going to have interoperability between language models. So although I'm dealing with one that's very healthcare specific, if I need something from another, I can pull that from it. let's say we had a social determinants of health language model that we could bring in that information that's specific to you. And then for further treatment and whatnot. So this is absolutely but it's really important that we understand that this is adjunctive to our practice. This is helping us. This is not replacing us. This is making us better, putting more information at our hands. And then the eventuality bill, we talk about this all the time. We don't provide sick care. At some point in time, we'll provide health care. These these generative AI applications and so forth done properly with the proper requisite information behind them will help guide ourselves and our patients from a health perspective, see their day-to-day, week-by-week, month-by-month. And that's where I really see this working out really well. And then just from an information perspective, hey, I need to see a certain physician, a certain specialty. I need to, where's the closest, all that kind of chatbot type stuff that we're doing now, where we actually curate the responses. These large language models actually will generate those responses and whatnot. Are we there a hundred percent? No, but We will be at some point in time. It's interesting to me that we have so much data to
0: work with at this point. I think what I would like to have more than anything in healthcare is we have these command centers that are going up. And why do we have command centers? Well, the command centers are to try to alleviate the flow of the patient throughout the system from intake all the way through the rehab and and health. As you say, we're sick care more than healthcare. But I I think about the inefficiencies that exist in that model. People are all worried about the clinical data going in and all this other stuff. I think there's a whole bunch of operational data that can go in. And I'd like to be able to ask the model, where are the bottlenecks in from our ED to here? Where's the bottlenecks in our imaging? I would like it to identify, hey, you know what? We have our imaging centers in the wrong place. We should put a new one here. We should do these kinds of things. I think there's a whole operational model that could be built around AI that would make us so much more efficient. And to be honest with you, when we talk about patient experience, a lot of times we go down to, oh, what are we gonna do on the phone? And the reality is the back end operation is so broken that it doesn't matter what you do on the phone. If we could really fine tune that, that command center, that flow of patient throughout the thing, then I, I think that information, first of all, I don't think there's as much risk to, to building out those kinds of AI models in looking at the uh, flow of patients. And I think there would be incredible value if you can have a model that drops in, collects information, and then you could start asking it about the different aspects of the operation. And if you could do that at scale across all of healthcare, I think you could really make a dent in not only the cost, but also the experience.
1: Built so the, the backend technology is, is around graph technology and whatnot. And we actually did this CI in Stony Brook as well, where I call them colleague aware applications. So at a particular time, let's say a nurse is giving a medication they haven't given before. Yes, they're given some information about it, but they're also made aware of colleagues, other nurses in the facility that have given that medication many times so they can reach out. Same thing when a uh, PGY-1 is working up a patient that uh, is not basically in their history and their experience level. They can reach out to somebody that has had the requisite experience so yes that data can be used for that operationally hey let's start diverting people from the labs lab over to to radiology because things are getting hung up from a a blood draw perspective and then from a just from a pure operational we realized that the pediatric population in long island was such that the clinic that we were going to put we shouldn't put it where we should where we're going to put it put it in this other area where there's more pediatric patients and whatnot. So, so yes, those are extremely good use cases for, for this type of technology in, in healthcare, m and activity, phenomenal technology for m activity. If the acquiring uh, organization is, is willing to, to relinquish that data, you can really make some excellent decisions on whether you really should pick them up or not, what you should take, what you shouldn't. Interesting.
0: Well, you brought it up and I'm going to close with it again, because I like to stick with the technology with you as much as possible. Cleveland Click went with a private 5G over Wi-Fi for its newest hospital. Okay. You talked about 5G in India, fantastic 5G network. We have, I don't know, half built 5G network throughout the United States. And it's the same way every other wireless Technology has grown over the years. It grows in the major metros. Then it grows out from there until it covers the entire country. What's the future of 5G as you look at this? By the way, if people want to see this, there's a Becker's article on uh, Cleveland Clinic goes to 5G over, over Wi Fi, And they're looking for partners who are going to utilize that, the 5G network and innovate. It's a smaller hospital. So their thought is let's see what happens here and we'll take it elsewhere. What are your thoughts on 5G?
1: Yeah, Bill. So I was involved with the UCI with the folks at UCSD, which did a lot of pioneering work in putting together the requisite organizations to promote five G. And this goes back quite some time. So what's important for everyone to understand about five G is the bandwidth is quite wide. That's really important for us. Was well the prioritization? You can prioritize traffic, medical traffic over other traffic. So um, what I think about is. As we're going more and more into the home environment, 5G is the ideal mechanism for that. So at some point in time, we'll have diagnostic ultrasound equipment and whatnot that you basically carry from a suitcase utilized, not from a diagnostic perspective that can be done at the edge, but from actual doing the diagnostic work in the home and whatnot, absolutely 5G as well as the telemonitoring and so forth, but inside the hospital security, and again, of bandwidth and prioritization and from a hacking and everything else, you've got a much, much more controlled environment, but that environment, they didn't create that environment The then brought that environment in toward that. But yeah, 5G is really will help us bring the healthcare to the home and everywhere else.
0: Yeah, because if people don't know this, Wi-Fi across the internet, there's no deterministic aspect of that. You cannot prioritize certain, I mean, you, no, you you can't, quite frankly, I mean, because we tried, I mean, <laughs> We've tried everything we could to prioritize it. And so therefore, the, the kid playing a game and the, the monitor, they're, they're getting the same priority of, of getting across that network. That's
1: correct. Absolutely correct.
0: Yeah, so 5G. So you're saying 5G, uh, I mean, you talked about more deterministic, we could prioritize, but you also talked about security. You said more secure. Now, why would you say more secure?
1: Well, think about how, from a Wi-Fi perspective, the, the different technologies. And the folks out there that know each technology, it's a little bit the narrow, it's a narrow band for 5G. And if you dig really deep into 5G, there's a lot less opportunity to really get into it. Yeah.
0: No, it's interesting. Do you envision more hospitals partnering with one of the major players to bring in 5G to, I and mean, this is I, 5G over Wi-Fi. It's interesting that they're doing that. So they must be encapsulating or something across that Wi-Fi network.
1: Yeah, I, I see that bill, but I, I really see the opportunity to use utilize 5G to, to get sophisticated equipment, monitoring equipment, as well as diagnostic equipment into the home. Well, Charles, thank you for taking time in
0: between your world travels. In fact, you haven't been home. I mean, you haven't been home in so long. It's, it's been a while, but this is the time of year that you usually travel. And then will we see you at some of the conferences in the
1: fall? Oh, absolutely. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be at Hims, whatever incarnation it takes this next year.
0: Yeah, well, you saw that they, they sold it yeah. off.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that's going to be a fun one to watch, Bill, because all my first thing was, was 1994, and I think it was like 350 people, something like that. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what, what, what transpires.
0: 350 people at
1: Hims, Something like that, 350 to 500, somewhere in there. And it was all financial people. The clinical people were really the odd people out and HIM was well represented.
0: I don't know. I mean, do you, do you anticipate much change? I mean, they sold it off. Do you anticipate much change in, in the overall structure of the conference?
1: Not the first year, but we'll see. The groups have picked them up and that's what they do. So I think you'll see more of some Vive-esque features maybe.
0: Yeah. If they had contacted you and I, we could have put it together, but they did not contact us, so.
1: <laughs>
0: we will have to see what happens. Charles, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bill. And that is the news. If I were a CIO today, I think what I would do is I'd have every team member listening to a show just like this one and trying to have conversations with them after the show about what they've learned and what we can apply to our health system. If you want to support This Week Health, one of the ways you can do that is you can recommend our channels to a peer or to one of your staff members. We have two channels, This Week Health, Newsroom and This Week Health Conference. You can check them out anywhere you listen to podcasts, which is a lot of places, Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, you name it, you can find it there. You can also find us on YouTube. And of course you can go to our website, thisweekhealth.com. And we wanna thank our Newsday partners, again, a lot of them, and we appreciate their participation in this show. Cedar sinai Accelerator, ClearSense, CrowdStrike, Digital Scientists, Optimum, Pure Storage, SureTest, TauCite, Lumion and VMware who have invested in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.